Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ. Joining me this week, as always, our LSJ sports columnist, Grand Couch, and Detroit Free Press beat writer, Chris Solari. Let's check in with you first, Graham. How are you doing on this fine Thursday afternoon? I am well. I just put a burger in my stomach and uh, feel like a new man, so I'm ready for this podcast. Where'd you get your burger from, or did you uh, make it at home? Oh, no, it was a uh, a Red Robin burger. Hmm. They, how much money do they owe us for that mention? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll bill them. $20 and a free burgers for all. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, Chris, how about you? You know, living the dream, baby. Um, <laughs> finally, finally got our house caught up into the protocols. So kind of uh, navigating all that, I'm... Uh, I'm Thankfully, uh, one of the five in our house who tested negative. So that's a plus. Um, we got that going for us, which is nice. Um, but a whole lot of other things that we're trying to, to navigate and deal with, but everyone's doing okay. So that's the plus side. I mean, you're, as we were talking about before we started recording here, the plight the plight of families during COVID in school and everything is, is, is quite, the, quite the entanglement. Oh, yeah. And... When you go through it, I will tell you, you can now understand why some of these teams are in such conundrums, if you will, because there's so many different and shifting protocols throughout this whole process now that, you know, what was what was true a month ago isn't true anymore. And, you know, the school systems uh, have different rules and regulations and you know the cdc guidelines have changed and you know it 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 just dealing with a house of five i can't imagine dealing with a roster of 15 or 110 you know that's uh that's 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 mind-blowing now when you kind of go through it to think about it yeah well well chris i tried my best to ably fill in for you this week with uh you have. With okay results. You have done well. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Chris. That's the positive. That's well. the positive boost I needed on my on my Thursday afternoon here. See, people think I'm. I I don't need to apologize for you anymore. You're <laughs> you're a, you're your own man. It's like it's like that's that scene in Swingers. You know, shout out to Marty. By yes. the way, oh, all right, all right, Peter Marty, like Marty Malone. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, he's all grown up. He's all grown up. That's how I feel about you. Swingers is uh, my favorite movie of all time, so, but I, I will not bore everybody with uh, quotes nice. from a 27-year-old movie. But uh, <laughs> oh, Don't say it that way, man. Come I know. That was, that was big in college. Yes. And those folks around MSU can remember, at that time, can remember how big the swing dancing was at uh, the Silver Dollar Saloon, which then became the dollar, which then became a parking lot. Yeah. Uh, example number 755, we are, why we are all men of a certain age. Uh, on this podcast yes. <laughs> exactly well let's start talking a little michigan state spartan athletics here and uh we'll begin on the basketball side i did find it kind of interesting that in the beginning of last week's podcast we kind of talked about uh the writing being on the wall for maybe a potential michigan state loss considering they'd uh maybe played not up to certain people's standards maybe maybe graham's particular leading into the northwestern game and then they come out and lose this northwestern game and uh, there is no easy uh, no easy way out from that because you got number you got number eight Wisconsin uh, coming up on Friday and then you got Illinois on Tuesday who who is also ranked. Uh, I want to start with you here, Graham. Uh, are there going to be future? I know you you were the one who kind of called the the warning bell shot. You know, as I said in last week's podcast, do you think there should be more reason for concern, or do you think uh, this is a good opportunity for the Spartans to kind of right the ship here and get back to maybe their 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 ceiling? Both. Um, I mean, I think anytime you have a close call, 
and there's evidence that you're not playing that well or doing the things you need to do and you don't adjust to it, um, then that, that's, that's an issue, right? But sometimes it does take actually losing to hammer the message home. And I do think you can sense it in the tone of the players, just how uh, th- there's an understanding right now. And, and it's not just, you know, whether Marcus Bingham, for example, is back to who he was playing with the edge he did before Christmas. And part of that might be the COVID recovery and all, um, as you wrote about this week. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. But it's very clear he understands it. He's a very different person than he was a year ago. His ability to not be, you know, he doesn't look at the coaches as not seeing things the same way he does. He understands it. And so the question is, can he then have that play itself out on the court a certain way? Um, the, the, the bigger, you know, the, the two issues for me are, are the two guys who were, I thought, questions going into the year and were pleasant either surprises or really things, you know, are Bingham and, and Tyson Walker. Because, you know, Bingham, they need to play at his ceiling. All the consternation about Joey Hauser and all, you know, was how much is he playing and Julius Marble. None of that matters because, yeah, they might have won if the game on – uh, Saturday, if Julius Marble had been at the end, it's possible. But if Julius Marble is your end of game center over Marcus Bingham, you're not going anywhere. So don't, don't worry about it. It's all about what Marcus Bingham gets to. And then Tyson Walker, his confidence and him feeling good about himself is, you know, your, your ceiling again is only he's got to be at its best for you to be at its best, at your best. I agree to some extent with that. I mean, I, I, I I'm not necessarily going to going to slag on on the contributions that marble can make because i could you know we could have we can go back just a couple years ago and and think about the time when nick ward was in there and they lost nick ward well how are they going to survive without him well they became a better team with xavier tillman on the floor at that point um so you know i think that you know things can be adjusted um in those moments but i do think that you know in terms of that end of game situation you know, Marble was absolutely gassed because he played pretty much that whole long segment in the, the second half, needed to go to the bench after a really, you know, exhausted kind of foul. Uh, but they kind of forgot about him and didn't put him back in quick enough, and that's kind of where Hauser got exploited over and over again by Young on the defensive side. But, you know, to me that was a coaching issue right there that, that he should have been back in there at that point. But I also agree with what Tom Izzo said, too, um, it, 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 to me, it's not so much about having Marcus Bingham at the end of the game. Yeah, you do need him at the end of games. I agree with you on that. But you need him to come out of the gate. Uh, you know, that, that game was lost in those first 10 minutes where Michigan State was really just lackadaisical, uh, lackluster. And, and it, it was the tone was set with Bingham not being able to get up and down the court. And, they, they, you know, I, I do think it's interesting and probably beneficial, I think, in a lot of ways for – is to kind of look at, at Bingham's COVID situation. And, you know, yeah, he had, a, he had a decent game coming back at Northwestern right off the high point game that he sat out with the COVID issue. But each of the last couple games, it's been more and more you can kind of see the, the wear and tear and fatigue with him. So, you know, you got to treat the situation with kid gloves, not from, the, not from the standpoint of, you know, personality or ego or any of those things. But I think just from the physical standpoint, you want Bingham – to not only be in there at the end of games, but also you want him to be in there later in the season, you know, so you don't want to overexert him if he is having issues right now. So I think it, it, it's a really complicated loss, I think, in a lot of ways. But, but to me, it, it's, it's the, you see what this team needs to be in terms of getting energy out of the gate, which they, I think at times they've struggled with. Um, they probably shouldn't even have been in that situation to the end of the game where they were in a, such a close game and having to come back. Um, if they come out of the gate at home with with the intensity that they need, the one thing that I would, you know, I mean, I think I mean I remember the Nick Ward issue, and I totally get that. But like Tillman was the the defensive player, like the the rim protection right. needs with 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 Bingham is, and and I agree. Like offensively, there are days Marble is is you know arguably the best option um, in there, but defensively, what what Bingham is is his best is what what you know, gives you a chance. And especially since, you know, this isn't a team with mega stars everywhere. It's with a lot of good players. I mean, you really need him to be, and, and, you know, we're, frankly, we're going to find out real quick. It's not just, 
I mean, they're, they're going to play Illinois next Tuesday and, you know, he'll be up against Kofi and, and, um, you know, then they'll get Hunter Dickinson, who's, who was, who was a challenge for him, uh, you know, next, uh, next Saturday. And so right away, you, you, we're about to find out sort of, can he rise to that level again? And, and he's shown it to this point. He's done a pretty good job when he's been tested in that manner. Yeah. And I, it's, let me clarify that too, because it's not an apples to, to apples situation and talking about that situation with Ward and Tillman and this, I meant it more along the lines of Izzo adapts his coaching based on the personnel in those instances. And obviously when you have a rim eraser like Bingham, I mean, that's when Michigan state right now plays at its best. But if you have to go to a situation where marbles, the guy you have to kind of overhaul and, and, and tinker with certain things. And maybe they needed a little bit of that uh, in the second half of that game to kind of, you know, if, if Bingham gets in foul trouble at some point, or if he has an extended, you know, illness or injury situation and you need to go with Marble, I think there are some benefits to having played without him in that game that, that you know, both the players and Izzo needed to kind of kind of figure out a little bit of, of what they are if Bingham isn't there. But there's no question that this team needs Bingham to, to be at its best. And you've seen that early in the year when, you know, and, and really in that nine-game win streak, you know, when he's playing at his best, you know, you've got perimeter defenders who, who who can lock down, who haven't been, by the way. I think that's part of the, the thing, too. I mean, that's, you know, I think the, the perimeter defenders have had some issues lately as well. But when you have the perimeter defense and you have that rim eraser, you, Michigan State's just a different team. I thought it was interesting that uh, when when asked at the press conference, it's a more or less just shot down the idea of Julius Marble starting in place of Bingham. So I think it certainly seems like they that he's going to continue to ride Marcus Bingham, just hope he kind of, for better or worse, kind of plays his way out of what I guess we can call a, a COVID slump. Yes and no. Like, I mean, the thing is, you, you can say, I mean, the problem is he only rode him for 12 minutes in the last game, you know, so he's not really, I mean, they're, they're starting him, but that's not really, you know, he, he, did not, he didn't play the final 10 minutes of the previous game and he, wasn't playing down the stretch in the last game. They need they need that to change, and, and they need you know it, it'll be really, the turnover situation is interesting because you know I, I don't want to say I disagree with Izzo in this sense, but I do wonder you know I, I asked a question about whether at a certain point the overthinking of turnovers are become you know where it, it's almost it's almost you know paralysis by analysis, and you're almost worried too much about it to the point that it, it, it makes it worse. And he said, I don't care. Like this is, you can't, you have to earn the freedom. And, and I get that and all, you know, I, I do wonder if, if, and, and there are some turnovers by like AJ Hogard that are, you know, you can see coming a mile away sometimes, but I do, I do wonder, you know, especially with, with Tyson Walker, um, you know, it, you need that guy feeling good and it can't be one turnover that pulls him from the, you know, and I, and I understand also that Izzo with those guys and with Bingham is playing the long game the same way he did with Cassius Winston years ago. Like he is, he does not. I mean, he played Tum Tum Nairn in a game at Iowa, Cassius Winston's sophomore year down the stretch, and they lost a game to hold Cassius Winston accountable to the level he thought he needed to be held accountable to. And in the moment, I probably wouldn't have done that. But look at the level Cassius Winston arrived at in the later in his career. So Izzo's not going to change, and you know, people can could not like some of these decisions. But ultimately, you're going to find out in five or six years when he's no longer the coach whether it was actually better having this stubborn old man <laughs> as the coach <laughs> than whatever you get next. Well, and he's he's made a history of this. I mean, that's, you know, everybody kind of looks at this. And I, I know, <clears throat> you know, um, Titus, you know, Mark Titus likes to talk about the manufactured adversity. And I think there's something to be said about that. Um, in some ways, I, you know, Izzo the other day, I thought he said, you know, I absolutely hate to lose, um, which I think, you know, if you listen to that, you're like, well, then, you know, you would have had marble back on the court or you would have put Bingham back on the court down the stretch. But what exactly is, I hate to lose it. If you lose a game in January, it builds you towards March. That's, that's always been his MO. And, you know, that's kind of his philosophy. And I think, you know, maybe he brought it up again the other day, just kind of unprompted, uh, back to the Wright State game back in the 99-2000 season when they won the national title. I, I think he sees that period of, of time that they played without Cleves and kind of dealt with that and then came back stronger. 
I think that's always going to be ingrained in him, and he's always going to see those moments, whether it be teaching moments uh, like like I think we saw against Northwestern or injury moments like with Denzel Valentine uh, a couple years back. Um, I, I think he sees those moments as team-building exercises for February and March, quite honestly. And, I, 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 you know, you could say whether or not he's going to change or not, but that's his belief. And his belief structure has, over the years, proven pretty spot on. I mean, when you see some of those teams. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch to see how this team responds at Wisconsin because I do think that, you know, how quickly this lesson can be learned and how quickly this team can maybe, I, I don't want to say put the loss behind them, but I think it's less about putting the loss behind them and more about learning what he wants them to learn. And I think some of those guys being a little older – can maybe do that a little quicker than some of the other teams that went into like three, four, five-game funk. But we won't know until we see. There's a part of me that thinks it's going to take a couple more games, maybe, if at all, to, to kind of iron out the, the turnover issues here at, at this point. But then you think back to last year when uh, they, were, they, they weren't as good as, as this year's team is, and then they beat three top five teams you know, in that stretch there to end the season. So maybe this is, this is the point where everything starts clicking for those guys. It, it's uh, being an athlete is a, <laughs> just a, a weird thing sometimes in that regard. This is a different year though. Than, I mean, there have been years that you can compare to this in certain realms. I mean, there, there have been years where things have not come together early and they've come together late and, and really late, much later than this. Uh, and there have been years where things were just great out of the gate. Uh, this was sort of in between there because there was a while where they really found it. And I thought they were playing pretty well, and everything they were doing was sort of on the upswing. And they, they you know, I, I think with this team in particular, this was a team, um, and is a team that was there were a lot of questions about. They had a lot of guys who both individually and collectively as a team needed to prove themselves, and they attacked the season that way. And other than that shaky start against Kansas, did a great job of it, showing that they could play with different people, taking care of business. And, and games on the road at Butler and places like that. I mean, they were really, really good. And then I think over Christmas, they, they had that moment where it's like, okay, we've done it. We've sort of arrived. This team is not good enough to do anything if it's not constantly playing individually and collectively like it's out to prove itself, like it's doubted. Because there's just not, you know, if, if, for example, you can look at rosters throughout the Big Ten pound for pound and find better rosters. And yet, for a while, Michigan State as a collective looked like a, a better team, and and so you know that that's where they have to get to. They have to approach each game with an edge because outside of Nebraska, there is not a team in the Big Ten that isn't at least fifty-fifty going to beat them if they aren't really, really dialed in. We'll kind of use that as a segue into this weekend's game against Wisconsin. A bit of a late start, a Friday night game at Wisconsin. Uh, you know, Wisconsin's last game, they, they kind of struggled too with Northwestern. So it's one of those things where it's maybe just Northwestern is a, is a bugaboo team for a lot of these teams. And they've always kind of been traditionally here for Michigan State over the past few years. So maybe there isn't, maybe we're overlooking or overreading too much into the Northwestern game. And Michigan State's kind of kind of come back to what we've seen in, in better spots in the season against the Badgers. Although the Badgers are just, man, they just turn year in and year out, just a good team. Johnny Davis made the leap this year and He's kind of made the type of leap that I think a lot of people maybe would have hoped maybe Joey Hauser would have made this year or or somebody else, for, for, for example. I don't know. Maybe a Gabe Brown. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think he's still taking that leap a little bit. You know, maybe not as dramatically as Johnny Davis, but, you know, Davis is also a sophomore. Um, those are the kind of guys that, you know, rise up and, and go to the league and, and, you know, Gabe Brown's in his fourth year. So, I mean – little different in terms of talent, but, you know, I, I, I do think that Northwestern, I, I think Northwestern's advantage, which is helping them, is their experience playing together and their age, because they do have a lot of older guys. Now, that said, um, Brad Davidson. So, I mean, Davidson's been at Wisconsin for about as long as Daryl Bevel was quarterback there, which I believe was from about 87 to 98. Uh, something like that, I think, was Daryl Bevel's quarterback career at Wisconsin. Um, I only say that jokingly. Well, it feels it feels like every Wisconsin quarterback is there for a solid seven or eight years. Yeah, well, but but you know, Davison's obviously, like, you know, that's I think the Davison factor to me for for this game is going to be interesting because I don't know if guys like Tyson Walker and AJ Hogart have had 
to play against someone who will get under your skin like that? And how will they respond? I mean, you know, you can't have Tyson Walker checking himself out of the game if Brad Davison's doing Brad Davison things, right? Um, you gotta, you gotta show some toughness and mental acuity there to, to really, um, you know, overcome the kind of player that Davidson is and the things that he does, you know, however you want to say it is, whether it be dirty, whether it be gritty, um, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at that, but, um, you know, they, they need their point guards to, to play strong mentally as well as they do physically in this game. And they got to get Max Christie and, and the perimeter defense going again, um, because they got to shut down Johnny Davis. I mean, that's, Ultimately, that's that's your biggest key, I think, Graham, and that, that that's probably like the biggest no-brainer key I think that's out there is shut down their best scorer, right? Wisconsin, I, I really like this Wisconsin team, and I, and I to, to the point Billy made earlier about Northwestern, I, I I think they're not a bad team. They've got veterans, they've got sweat equity. Chase Audiz is a guy who he gets um, he can shoot you into a game, he can shoot you out of a game, and he was lights out the other yeah. day against Wisconsin. And Wisconsin won the first game that Northwestern's had with its student section this year. So that was a different environment than anybody else has had to deal with there. And, and I think Johnny Davis has been good. Davidson looks like he's in a real good place. It's a, I like the construction and the athleticism of the roster more than I did a year ago. Um, Davidson, by the way, for all the jokes we make, he's about the same age as half the sophomores in this league. Like, we make jokes about him. He's been around a while. But he was actually started when a real freshman's going to start. Like, most guys these days are like, hey, freshman of the week, but he's 26. Like, like I'm, I'm being obviously exaggerating, but like he's a year older than A.J. Hogard and Hunter Dickinson or sophomores. Um, so uh, that just gives you an idea of some of the different ages people walk into, you know, college basketball now. at, um, And uh, and so, yeah, and, and it, it's weird. He's one of those guys who I think annoyed people for a long time and, and Somehow, to me, his story has become more endearing. Maybe it's just knowing he wants to be a coach, and he looked at this level of was wanting to play it out one more time. But, yeah, I think, look, Johnny Davis has become, you know, you could see it a little last year as potential, um, along with, you know, Keegan Murray over at um, Iowa, the two freshmen last year that you kind of went, hmm. And Davis is just, there's a there's a competitiveness to him. There's, a, uh, there's an all-around completeness to his game. There, I mean, he's got size and strength, and and he is going to be uh, a difficult guard for for anybody. Uh, you know, for Max Christie, if that's his you know assignment, I mean, that's a tough a tough matchup. And and so, you know, it's a sport often of matchups. And where do you have your advantages if you're MSU? Well, maybe Bingham can be one. You know, maybe you can get something at the four position. Uh, you know, they, they're going to need a consistency out of Gabe Brown certainly. They could use a good shooting day out of their backcourt, obviously. But, it, it, you know, when I look at this game right now, as much as I've seen MSU play well, I'm getting to the point where I trust Wisconsin. And that's – there aren't a lot of Big Ten teams I trust. I'm starting to trust Purdue, and I'm starting to trust Wisconsin. And at some point I'll probably be there with Illinois. I, I would not pick Michigan State to go in there and win this game. I think they're capable of it. But it would have to be them playing at a level they haven't played at in a few weeks and a matchup that I don't see right now. I mean, look, pound for pound, Michigan State's fine. They're not, they shouldn't get blown out of this matchup. But this is, a, this is going to be, while it's different than the Illinois game, brutal crowd, a star player who's proven he can get his good roster that I think fits each other. Um, they, they, I just really like this Wisconsin team more than I have a Wisconsin team in a little while. Maybe it's because Nate Reavers isn't missing layups anymore for them, you know. But catching a stray. <laughs> well, their big, their bigs are playing really well right now too. Yeah, and they've got size. They got size and depth in size, which you know beyond Bingham. I mean, you know, Matty Sissoko is not necessarily as reliable, you know, in outside of short stints, you know. And how are you gonna, you know, if you're gonna, you got a couple seven footers on that Wisconsin roster that you got to deal with. Um, yeah, you know, that's 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 one thing, and you know you do as as <clears throat> much as we talked about Hauser in that in that game against Northwestern. He needs to play better defensively in this one. There's so, no question, you know. And Wisconsin just looks so dang sure of themselves. And right now, and Michigan State did for a while. Like you think about some of the games early, Michigan State looked like it knew who it was, who it wanted to be. It played with a purpose on both ends, even if it was a different guy leading them and scoring at different times. 
now they, there's a there's a, a little bit of a lack of confidence. I think some of that's Walker. Some of that's that the guys who were part of their identity early aren't playing as well. Um, I think that's you know, and that probably reverberates to the rest of the, the the team to some degree. But on offense, you sometimes look at Michigan State in the half court and go, I don't know that they know what they want to do here. You know, and I, I didn't feel that way about this team for the first couple of months of the season that often. And so you, you don't want to be a team that out, they may they may find it quickly and they may be OK. But you don't want to be a team that lacks confidence walking into the Kohl Center and then walking into, uh, you know, Assembly Hall and Champaign or State Farm Arena, whatever it is. I mean, those are two places that are just can be wickedly unforgiving atmospheres. And this is the first these are the first true road games that MSU has played, to me, against good teams in tough atmospheres. Butler, average team at best, and they handled that atmosphere really well, and they showed some things. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I want to see what happens to this team when the other team goes on a 9-2 run and all of a sudden you're down eight. You know, what, what's the response, and, and where does that go? And we, we really haven't seen that yet for this team this year. Yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about the turnovers already, but this is the game where, you know, the turnover numbers really stand out in terms of Michigan State leading the Big Ten in turnovers while Wisconsin has turned the ball over the least in in the Big Ten. So uh, it would be a stunner if that didn't play a factor in this game one way or the other. And this is a tough stretch. I mean, you look at this schedule that's coming up. I mean, it doesn't do you any favors to lose that Northwestern game because now you got to go at Wisconsin, at Illinois, back-to-back, then come back with Michigan and you're on your road for your next two at Maryland and at Rutgers. And we've seen, you know, we saw how tough it is to play that Rutgers team. Just ask Iowa. I mean, Michigan State loves to get out and run, and, and so does Iowa right now. And, and what happened? Michael's team shut down the run game for Iowa. And that you'll, he'll do the same thing against Michigan State. And the rack is a sneaky, tough place to play when the student's there and when it's, when it's really a, a big game. And, you know, I don't know how many times Tom Izzo has said it this season that, you know, when Michigan, he talked about it this week about the Wisconsin game that it's going to be the Super Bowl and Christmas all rolled into one. And, you know, I know Michigan State has that some years, but, um, you know, when they've got that, that high-flying kind of team that's, you know, solidly in the top ten. But, you know, right now, I mean, that's what it's going to be like at, at Rutgers. I mean, that's what it's going to be like for Maryland. It's always like that at Maryland. So, that's a that's a real tough stretch right there. And then when you get done with that, then you got to come home and play Wisconsin and Indiana. So I mean, it's there's no there's no gimmies in the course of the next month for Michigan State. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't think I mean I don't think the rest of this year really because Nebraska's done. They're done with Nebraska and and like going to Penn Still State. Have Penn State. But that's on yeah, the road. Yeah, Penn State can be tough. Yeah, Purdue nearly lost there. I mean that you know. Um, you know, at Penn State is 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 tough. Now that's a weeknight yeah. with belts. The Big Ten doesn't give Penn State home games on the weekend. That's kind of the rule. But um, yeah. I don't want to. They don't want to waste those opportunities <laughs> for other schools. But nonetheless, it, it's there. There aren't. There is not a gimme. Um, there are games there that they ought they ought to you know be favored in or ought to be able to handle their business. And I think they will. And I think the other thing that's interesting, going back to Chris's point earlier about you know Izzo. You know, and we were talking about playing the long game and, and worrying about being at their best come March and doing what it took for that. The, the years where there's an exception to that, and there isn't really an exception to that, but where it feels like are the years that winning a, a regular season Big Ten title is really the goal in a lot of ways, or really part of the goal. And I'm not saying that wasn't an outside something they'd want to do this year if things fell, but this team was never thought to be that team. And certainly after you lose a home game to Northwestern, that's a harder thing to do. And so when, when, when the goal no longer has anything to do with being atop the Big Ten standings realistically, it allows you to, I mean, they need to win enough games to obviously have a good resume and they want to get the best seed possible. But you're playing to be at your best at the end. And that, and that is, and you're always doing that. But there are certain years where, you know, you've got a legit chance also to, to, to have some regular season hardware. I got to ask you, Graham. How surprised were you that it took him between Saturday's game and Tuesday's press conference to use the term "fat and sassy"? 
I anticipated it right after the game, quite honestly. Here's the thing that's interesting. For all the stuff where he's saying he saw this coming, I don't know. If he truly saw this coming, I think he would have used Fat and Sassy earlier with it. You know? Like, I don't know that I don't know that even Izzo really – I mean, he knew they weren't rebounding at a very good level. He knew, But I don't know that he um, – here's the thing about Izzo, too, with this team, is he likes this team. He likes these guys. And he said he's been soft around – he just likes being around them, I think. I think that's part of it, too. Like, he, he – this is, and so I think they're winning. He's around a group of guys he likes. And, and, and it, you know, you sort of that it becomes this harmonious situation. And all of a sudden you're not playing as well. And you have to, you know, get things, you know, a little more stern again. And, and it was interesting watching practice the other day because he was very much, I mean, you talk about the turnover emphasis, very much no joke and very blunt with, with a lot of players, even the freshmen and like, their roles and what's expected right now out of them and not later in their careers, but right now, this is what I need. And, and, and I, you know, I think there is a reestablishment of what, what is required of all these guys going on right now. Well, I think some of it too, is that he's probably been trying to maybe figure out some of these guys, you know, what buttons can he push? What buttons can't he push? And that's probably where he feels that he's been a little bit soft on them. I mean, you know, Bingham's in his fourth year. And Hauser's now in his third year in the program. And, you know, those two in particular, you know, you'd be remiss to to not see how he's dealt with them and said, well, he's treating them somewhat with kid gloves at at times compared to other players in the past, Um, you know, at their positions when they would struggle. And it's an individual personality thing, but I think there's going to be a point where it's, and it always, you've seen it with no matter wherever there's a guy that he, backs off on for a little bit when it gets crunch time and, and gets closer towards the tournament, he amplifies it. And those guys need to step up and deal with it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if those two guys in particular, because they've been around the program this long, um, you know, what it, I would imagine the hard coaching was coming if it's not already. And you started to see it some and hear it some in his tone on Saturday about Bingham. And you heard it on Tuesday about Bingham. Um, how do these guys respond to that? Because uh, I, I do think that, you know, you might have a little bit better of an option with Malik Hall if Hauser doesn't respond, but you don't have another option behind Bingham. So you need him. So it's going to be a fascinating watch for the next two months. Let's go ahead and get your guys' predictions for uh, the Wisconsin game on Friday night. Graham, you kind of already hinted where you were going, so uh, we'll have you go first here. I'd be on the Badgers here if um... – if I was a betting man, um, yeah, you're yeah. definitely not a betting, you a betting man. man. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> well, I wouldn't bet MSU, but uh, I wouldn't bet that game. But I, yeah, I mean, it's not again. It, it, it's a stay. It would be a stay away for me actually, because I, I think MSU has shown that they can go into tough environments and play well. And I don't think they're going to be overwhelmed from a talent perspective. But you know, we've got to see it. MSU's back in a in a, in a prove it to me zone a little bit, and and uh, some of the the faith that I had begun to have and, and Tyson Walker and Marcus Bingham has waned a little bit so uh you know right now I think Wisconsin's playing really well I think they closed the game well against Northwestern you know it's, I think they're a good team and you know I think they're going to win by you know I would pick them by you know uh seven eight points something like that at home against MSU yeah I was going to put it around eight to twelve somewhere in that range and you know let's face it this is Michigan State's toughest test since the Baylor game and you know, that was the third game in three games down in the Bahamas, and it was coming off what Izzo pointed to as being maybe their best performance in the Connecticut game, um, how they looked like a different team. Can they summon up the Connecticut kind of team? And, and really for a half against Baylor, they were right there. Um, you know, that I, I think <clears throat> it's going to be a lot different to do this on the road than it was in a neutral environment. And I think that this team's maybe about a month away from, from having a game like that where, where they can handle that kind of environment. Or they use this to, to go down to Illinois and win. But I think right now I, I, I'm, I'd lean Wisconsin on this one. They're, just, they're rolling a little bit right now. Yeah, well, I guess the Illinois game's probably going to happen before we record next as well. So uh, do you think the Spartans pull one off out of these two games? Or do you think it's going to be an 0-2 streak heading into Michigan, I believe, after that? I think it's an 0-2 streak. Um, I think yeah. Illinois. I think right now those two teams are just playing better basketball than Michigan State, and they're on the road, and, and so picking them would be sort of absurd. 
the real thing that'll you know get everybody panicked is if O two becomes O three if they lose that Saturday at home to Michigan, and Michigan you know as yeah. you know as you saw play against Maryland and 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 you know granted that's that's a home game and Maryland's a struggling program right now in certain ways, um, a lot of instability in the coaching situation and whatnot, but um, that that is a Michigan team that when you just watch them from a talent standpoint, MSU is not better than them. If you were to, if you were to take, uh, you know, 10 guys, and I think that's why MSU fans were upset that game was called when it was, is Michigan was not playing well. And it was like, and maybe they're still not playing great, but they were not playing well. And it was like, okay, Michigan state is at the time or appeared to be, you know, you want to play that game. If you're going to do it on the road. No, I don't think that game gets made up, but if you were to say out of the 10 starters, Hey, you've got to pick five. There'd be more, eh, well, there'd be more Michigan guys on that list than Michigan State guys, I think. Maybe. That's a tough, well, maybe not. I'd have to go through. Might be evenly split. Yeah. Might be evenly split. Two, two and a half per. Two and a half, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be, be, be some arguments. Actually, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd say that, but it dep- and it depends how the Michigan State guys are playing. Like, what, 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 what Tyson Walker are you getting? The best of Tyson what Walker. Bingham, are you getting? <laughs> right, right, and and you know, and because the best of Marcus Bingham, um, you know, has played really, really well this year at times. He's been an absolute force at times, and and otherwise, you, you'd say, well, that's obvious. You're taking, you know, Hunter Dickinson, but that, there were games where Bingham was that good this year where you'd say I, I, you wouldn't necessarily. I mean, defensively was that impactful that you wouldn't necessarily make that choice. And and can he get back to that place? But. Uh, We'll have time to talk about that game before we get to that game. Well, let's move to football here. Uh, talk a little little transfer action. The Spartans were, have been busy in the portal over the past week. Uh, we'll start with the departure as Ma Nautayote, who was a four-star linebacker in the 2021 class, and the Spartans also top-ranked recruit in that class, has decided to transfer. Uh, personally, for me, that's a little surprising. I thought he saw enough action late in the year that it seemed like the coaches have made it clear he was part of their future plans, but then you get two transfers in, and Aaron Brule and Jacoby Winman, who also play that position, and maybe he saw the writing on the wall, maybe that playing time at the end of the year was not a harbinger of things to come, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm from a personal standpoint, I'm a little disappointed because we invested so much time and energy in learning to spell and pronounce his name. <laughs> and I still screw it up every time. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, he looked good in, that, in the Peach Bowl. He had a couple big plays there. Um, I think a Penn State game, he had a nice p- couple plays. So he's a guy that you looked at and you said, okay, you can see where the, he's going to be able to fit in his defense. Um, clearly there was a disconnect, and there's obviously, you know, the, the kid could come back. I mean, there's, there's, there's no, you know, we've seen it before uh, where, where guys will go into the portal and come back, Connor Hayward in particular. Um, and, and, but a lot of times it's not. I mean, usually there's, some writing on the wall, and I think, you know, bringing in uh, Brule, bringing in Winman, uh, <clears throat> you know, those two guys have a couple years of eligibility left, and if you want to start right away and you see that those two guys come in and Crouch is there and Halliday is a freshman All-American, you know, and you only got two linebackers, yep. and there's no, no, you know, there's nothing to me that says we're going to shift back to a 4-3 uh, or a 3-4, um, you know, I think the kid looks at it as a business decision, quite honestly, and I'm sure that Mel Tucker understands it from that perspective as well. And, you know, that I do think the one thing that he's done in terms of this, that you know, it might seem a surprise to us, but, um, you know, those those kids, he's pretty much been in connection with those kids in terms of making those decisions. Um, I, I did think the timing of it was weird, though, because classes had already started, but... Um, certainly, certainly I think, I mean, you talk about the highest rated recruit, um, in Mel Tucker's first recruiting class, first full recruiting class in 2021, um, the only four star in that class. That's, you know, that's kind of a big thing, I think, from a perception standpoint. This is going to happen a lot at MSU's program and everywhere. This is the new world with the one-time transfer portal. That's why the odds are slimmer than ever right now when a kid commits to you that A, he's going to stay committed to you and sign with you and then ever have a meaningful career with you. And at some point, we'll have to do all the math on this, but it's going to wind up being... Just just ask USC about that, where Naoteote was committed to until he fled. Correct. It's going to get to the point where 
eventually, if if, if we're wise, we'll get used to we'll we'll celebrate commitments a little less because the odds that that person ever has a meaningful career for you is a lot less. And we, I, I just want to, I know that's one of my takes that I use all the time, but the, I, at some point we need to get there. We need to realize that yeah. nothing wrong with being happy when a five-star or four-star says yes to your school. Just understand there's about a 34% chance that they're ever going to do anything for you. I think that's where it's going to wind up uh, um, being the case. And, and it, But th- what I mean is you're going to have a lot of kids, especially out-of-state kids, and this is going to be one of the perils of recruiting in Georgia and other places like that. They're going to spend a, you know, a season in Michigan or a, a half a year in Michigan, and they're going to decide, and they're not going to love everything about it, and they're going to want to leave. And they're going to, some will regret leaving, others won't, and you know, others will have patience. And you know, I, I wanted to transfer after my first semester away at school. Glad I stuck around. You know, my father wasn't going to let me leave, but if my dad had said something else, maybe I would have. You know, and and it just, I just. You didn't, I didn't give it time. And so th- this is why recruiting transfers has some advantages because they've already transferred. They don't have the ability to leave again. And what, what, the one thing that's going to get interesting for fans is over time, if there are more and more kids that you are unable – because one of the things people love about college sports is you there's this, this bond between you and this, the player that has chosen your school and you get to know them over the course of two, three, four years – and with that, if that's happening less and less, and people are getting their heart broken constantly, I, I wonder what that bond will be, and 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 sort of that loyalty that a fan has to the school, but doesn't feel like that's reciprocated by the athlete. And I think that's the danger for college sports. That's a lot to talk about one inst- instance right now. Look, when you're going to play a, a you're going to play two linebackers, and you're going to bring in two transfer linebackers, you got to expect somebody's going to leave. I was laughing when you're going on your recruiting show because I do agree with you in that the 33% hit rate is probably accurate, but uh, I do laugh at the idea that people are going to quit getting excited about the four and five star commits. That's just how how we do things in college sports fandom. We get excited. We get excited about those things, even if, like you said, 66% chance they're not going to do anything for your school. People get excited about hitters in baseball hit 333 so it's okay it's okay you can you can fail 67 percent of the time and it can still be exciting uh, i'm just saying you know uh, expect uh expect some disappointment well i mean just look down the road at what when ewers did i mean you know that's that's a great example i mean you know the kid committed to ohio state went there early and is gone already you know he played i think a couple snaps against michigan state and he's now in Texas. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the nature of it. I mean, that's, you know, you can't, you can't get overly attached to people at the front end, and you can't get overly negative when you lose on guys because you could still get them at some other point in their career now. It's, it's a little bit of a change in the dynamic in, in the recruit Knicks because, you know, you see people that would just kind of flip, oh, he didn't want to be here, he didn't want to be there. Um, these guys are making business decisions, like Mel Tucker says, and you know he sees the he's the viewers saw the writing that you know that that uh, you know CJ Stroud's going to be the, the guy this year and might be another year. So yep. you know he wants to play, he wants to play quickly, and that's when you have high end recruits. That's that's the reality of it. Those guys want to play quickly because that's what they feel like they're being brought in for. It's what Greg Campy's been doing for years. It, you keep recruiting guys even when they go somewhere else because you're thinking you'll get them you – know, they're making a mistake right now or we may want them later. You don't blow up relationships because you may get them on the back right. and you, you're recruiting them for their entire career. And the one, one point I'll make about Quinn Ewers is he did not leave early for, for another kid who was already – like if he had played through a senior year, I'm not sure he would have been eligible in the state of Michigan. I don't know how old these kids are. But you cannot be 18 years old and go to college early. That's my only take on that. I know he left high school early, but nobody says two times six greater Quinn Ewers or whatever the heck he was to get to that point. So you can't leave school early if you're already 18 years old. It's it's absolutely it shouldn't be a thing. I mean, other states have different enrollment requirements at kindergarten. Fine. Though. That's fine, but if, if that, that that that's that, there's I got I was one of the for example growing up. One of the, I'd say, probably younger, middle to younger kids in my graduating class. And there were guys that, you know, were 18 towards the back end, closer to 19 when we graduated. Um, You know, and then I got here and I was one of the older kids enrolling because the enrollment were different for for kindergarten. So there's, there's, you can't really put that on, on the kid, but 
I do get what you're saying. I mean, kids, some kids get held back for athletic reasons. There's no question about it. Funny you say that. Like, uh, I got two things here. One, if I graduated on time, I would have been a 21-year-old college graduate, which is, in retrospect, I think pretty insane to to some extent. And going back to what Graham said about people taking the same grade twice, uh, if you guys remember Clayton Richard, the former Michigan quarterback who then ended up playing – uh, he also played for the baseball team and ended up playing maybe a dozen years in the majors or whatnot. That is exactly what he did. He oh, yeah. he he played. He was in eighth grade twice at two different middle schools in Lafayette, Indiana. And then his senior year of high school, he wins Mr. Baseball and Mr. Football before going to Michigan and then before the majors. That's crap, by the way, because, look, you just change so much in high school. You, you change. In, in t- now, I'm not saying like somebody like me, it would have been better to, to go a year later uh, and be five in kindergarten instead of four. But I, I'm not. But we're talking about kids who are starting kindergarten at seven here. If they're, if you're just doing the math on, on, or going to kindergarten at seven, man, that's a big difference in the playground, man. And if I, you know, I would have been the type of kid I would not have picked a seven. First of all, we would have, we would have made fun of you mercilessly if you were seven years old in our kindergarten class. Like that was, that was, that was not cool, man. That's not. No, 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 you, no, you wouldn't have. Man. No, you wouldn't have because that kid would have been three times bigger than you. I had a lot of people backing me up. I wouldn't have fought my own fight, but I would have had somebody else fight my fight for me. All right, all right. We we've gotten off track here. Let's uh let's get back here and get home here with uh with an incoming transfer for the Spartans in uh defensive back Amir Speed. Now this is a uh, defensive back from Georgia. This is the second consecutive year Tucker has brought in a defensive back from a national championship football team and I think this guy played way more than Williams did at Alabama too. So this is a guy who played in all but two games this year and I believe at least was on the field for one play in the national championship game versus Alabama. So uh, this is obviously a guy, you know, who's, you know, played in the SEC, played in big games. Tucker thinks this is a guy that uh, who can contribute right away for the Spartans, Chris. Yeah. And I think the, the interesting thing too, is that Mel Tucker was there at Georgia when speed was recruited and Harlan Barnett was trying to recruit him to Florida state before he came back to Michigan state. So we talk about relationships. Those, there's relationships that were already established. Uh, I think that's every bit as big as the talent that they bring in because they need depth. I mean, you saw that this year with the number of injuries that they had once once uh, Kalen Gervin left, um, they were down. And I think that really cost them in that Purdue game when you had Williams hurt, when you had, uh, you know, uh, uh, Marquis Lowry hurt in that game, when you had, you know, guys playing at, you know, 60% maybe. Um, you didn't have a healthy option. To, to really kind of be a, a guy there. And I think he's one of those guys that, you know, at 6'3 on, on the corner, you know, that's what he wants. You know, big, long-arm guys that are quick, good swivel. And, and you know, he's a guy that's, that's battle-tested. Um, you know, the Williams thing at Alabama, I mean, you know, he came in as a Juco All-American and got hurt. Uh, it's a little bit different. And I think sure. it, yeah. he really, by the end of the season, I think acclimated himself uh, pretty well at the corner position. I mean, a lot of what, what teams were doing was over the middle, you know, against the linebackers and the safeties in the pass game uh, down the stretch. And I thought Williams played pretty well. So if you're able to get another guy in there, is he going to be a day one starter when he gets on campus? I mean, it'll play out. Um, you know, I think that there's some, there's some validity to that, but you know, I liked what I saw from Lowry uh, down the stretch. So he's going to have competition to get that starting job. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I, I think at this point, it's you got to have depth. He's a guy who's played four years somewhere else at a, at a very good school, obviously, but not really been a, a, a guy there um, who's been, you know, a starter. But, you know, he was good enough to get recruited there. He's obviously got talent. He obviously loves the sport enough to give it, you know, one more go somewhere. And uh, you, you just, those are, at this stage of the program, especially at that position, uh, I think it's an important addition. All right. Any final thoughts before we sign off this week, guys? Well, we're getting closer to that second signing day in football. Um, that's coming up in a few weeks, and you know, I think there's still some guys that are out there. They 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 already got a 2023 commit, uh, a second 23 commit in the Riscano kid. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. As Graham alluded to, as Graham alluded to with uh, with, with this, you know, the day after the kid commits to Michigan State, he gets another offer from Nebraska and is tweeting it out. That's that's the nature of it. I mean, <laughs> guys are going to commit now, but, you know, you're constantly recruiting those guys. You're constantly recruiting guys on your own roster, whether they're going to stay or go. Um, uh, C.J. Hayes landed at uh, Syracuse uh, 
today, Thursday, as we record this. Um, so, um, so a lot of movement, I think, in the portal, and I think there's going to probably be a couple other additions maybe to the 22 class uh, come that, that extra signing day. It's, it's, it's interesting, and uh, it's an important offseason. It's an interesting one to see how they're able to – the iron is hot right now, right? How, do you, how much can they strike while the iron's hot? And uh, but yeah, the, the the look the early commitments. There's a reason I say pledge and intends to come somewhere because it is it is not a commitment if the next day you're tweeting out the offers from somewhere else and and, and a lot of people flip. I mean, it's it just it's just not. And and that it's I know in college football terms it's a commitment, but it ain't what the word means. And um, and I and I look I, for the kid's sake, he does what he wants to do, and if that's Michigan State and he sticks with it, and I think it's it, you can build momentum in a class, and that's that to me is the value of guys who are committing this early and saying they're committed, and uh, regardless of how much they really are. One counter to that argument I'll make is that we don't really have a baseline of how much that happened previously. I think part of it is because the recruiting sites and the attention paid to recruiting over the last 15 years has been amplified both from a fan standpoint and from the recruit standpoint. Um, so, you know, it, it goes back to the whole thing of, you know, some guys don't love football X, Y, and Z now compared to then. Well, that's not this, that's not true. I mean, there's, this is, it's more amplified because there are more avenues and outlets that, that focus on that now to me. I, I think that, you know, the same with, with coaches who may, you know, if a guy gets hurt and they don't want to give him the scholarship, you know, that's out there as well. Now, you know, before maybe not as much. Maybe a guy would get on campus, was hurt, and, you know, was quickly gone from the program the next spring and, you know, written off to attrition. But, you know, I, I don't necessarily know how much different per se it is. Uh, but certainly coaches are aware of it. And I think in particular because of the portal, um, there's other avenues now to to kind of kind of shore that up. Um, well, it, it's a fascinating time in college sports, that's for sure. And the other thing is, from a Michigan State standpoint, is just that D'Antonio is such a counter to what's happening right now in terms of once you yeah. committed, you didn't take any more visits. That was the rule. So you just didn't see a lot of this stuff. And it's just it, MSU sort of joined the fray of what a lot of other places at the, at the top have been doing for a long time. And, and – uh, it's just, it's just a different game and, and, and take some, some getting used to. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.